And I have a bunch of teenagers now rushing, like, I was here. <laughs> Child, children at heart. Well, Merry Christmas Eve to you. Um, preaching on Christmas Eve reminds me of something that happened last year. I uh, was preaching, I preached the week before Christmas last year. And, um, and later that week, I was out in the yard with my daughter and We'd been praying for this little girl in the neighborhood to come to church with us, and she was with us, and she mentioned might, she might come to church with us. And in that context, my daughter says, I hate going to church. And I said, Avery, you, you don't hate going to church. Like, you love Sunday school? And she said, no, 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 I love Sunday school. It's just the sermons, they are so long. <laughs> the week after I preach, right? So, um, hey, buddy, how you doing? All right. I think Mr. Mike had the cards. Did you get one? Oh, Mr. Chris does, right there. Oh, you're all out. There's, there's one right there. All right, so I'm going to try to keep it shorter today. <laughs> try is the key there. Um, as you probably know, unless you're visiting this morning, we've been going through a, a series called Solus Christus, uh, or Solus, um, Solus Christmas. Looking at the five solas of the Reformation, celebrating the 500th year of the Reformation. And we've gone through scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. And now this morning we're going to look at solus Christus, which means Christ alone. And I, I want to <clears throat> use a very familiar Christmas passage to look at the names of Jesus in order to do this. So that we might... Remember the meaning of Christmas and be impacted by the Christ of Christmas. That's the goal this morning. So if you turn to Matthew 1, and we're going to read Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, was, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray once more. Oh, God, you are so gracious, and we thank you that we, if not for you coming to us, we would have had to figure out a way to get to you, and because of sin, that would have been impossible. So Christmas is such good news, but we pray this morning would not just be an average day. We pray for every Lord's day. We pray as we engage your word that you would engage our hearts and you would allow us to see the glory, the glory of God as you were born into the the world 
to save us from our sins. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, as Pastor Mike said, the naming of our children is a significant thing. It's a, it's a privilege, and there's different traditions to doing this. Uh, in the South, where we're from, um, we use a lot of family names. So Avery, my oldest, comes from my wife's maiden name. And we have a, our other children uh, from our parents and grandparents and so forth. Uh, one of a family that moved away, but that was in our life group um, about a year ago, uh, they had twin boys, and they named one of those boys Calvin, and they named the other twin boy Wesley, which I thought was very ecumenical of them. Um, but Bible, in the Bible, names are extremely significant, much more significant than they are today. They um, they speak names speak to their origin sometimes, like Adam, who came from the earth. But some they give. Um, their purpose in life, who they are and what they're going to accomplish. Like Abram, God renamed Abraham as he was the father, going to be the father of a multitude. That was what his, he was going to accomplish. In our passage this morning, there's three names for Jesus. And each is a reminder of something significant about who Jesus is and what he's going to accomplish for us. And the hope is that our hearts and minds would be rescued from the very the very trivial or familiar parts of Christmas that often is there. All of us are tempted towards this, right? For some of us, the busyness of the season is the cause. I confessed to a friend I ate lunch with this, this week that this was, I feel like, for me. It's just been really busy. One of the most busy Decembers I can remember. And I've rushed through my Advent devotionals. And I have uh, lingered over lights and parties. Uh, for others, it's familiarity. Some, some of the same songs on repeat. Some of the same stories. Same lack of awe and wonder. Lack of hope in the midst of the hard. Some of the lack of life transformation that we really desire. And for as most of us know, this story is anything but trivial. It's glorious. And the hope is that our hearts and minds would experience a fresh dose of that beauty. So we're going to look at the three names. And here are the three names. Number one is Christ, who is our only authority. Jesus as our only Savior. And Emmanuel, our only mediator. So let's look first at Christ, our only authority. Look in the text, it says in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took uh, took place in this way. Jesus is referred to this name, Christ, around 531 times in the New Testament. So much so that as one commentator said, whenever the New Testament is concerned about Jesus, it is concerned with him being the Christ. In fact, Matthew in these short 17 verses already called him this Three times, the Christ. Now, so for many, Christ, uh, you almost think of it as his last name, it's so much. Like if your children were to meet him on the street, you'd say, now children, call him Mr. Christ. (laughs) But Christ shows us so much about who he is. Literally, it means he's the anointed one. In the Old Testament, kings and priests were anointed 
granted authority by God as a representative to, of God to accomplish God's task, whatever he gave him to do. That's what they were anointed for. And so much like a U.S. ambassador has full authority to act in, on behalf of the president in the United States, Matthew and the rest of the New Testament comes and says, this baby being born has been granted all authority as God's representative to act on behalf of God. That's what you're to get from that. His name, Christ. And we see this when, he, when it comes to naming the child. So naming someone is, is, is a sign of authority in the Bible, actually. Um, in Genesis 2, God allows Adam to name the animals, right? It's not because he was out of names. <laughs> He's worn out from creation. He just let them, like, ah, you take it over, you know? Um, he says, I'm going to give you authority over animals, so I'm going to let you name them. In biblical times, a father naming a child shows he has authority over the child. and It's still the same privilege we have over our children today. But notice in verse 21 how Joseph did not get this privilege. The angel comes and tells him what to name him. You'll be his earthly father, but you won't have ultimate authority over this child, is what he's saying. This child is the Christ. Or refusing to let Joseph name the child, his child. He's saying, this child is actually born to have authority over you. This is one of the reasons people were not neutral about Jesus back then. No one treated Christmas as trivial or familiar. His authority always provoked emotion. Think of some of this. In, in the beginning of his ministry... It says people were astonished that he taught with such authority. It angered so many when Jesus claimed to have authority to forgive sins, which only God could do. They were amazed with his authority over sickness and demons and even death and the the ocean. They were confused, especially uh, the governor, Pilate, when Jesus said, you don't have authority over my life. I'll lay it down, I'll take it up again. And they were filled with hope at the end of his life when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to me. Because Jesus was and is the Christ, he claims to have been born to have authority over your and my life. There's two ways we we can react to this, though. One is um, that you, you... You can try to rename Jesus. You can kind of buck against this and try to rename Jesus. I don't mean literally, of course, but um, but rather that you claim to have authority over him. So you could do this, maybe some do this, by trying to rename him as just a moral, um, historical figure. And Christianity is one of the many great religions out there. That's a way of renaming Jesus. Some... Uh, of us who grew up in the church, you might try to rename him by just maintaining a simple belief in him. Oh, I sure I believe Jesus died for my sins or whatever. But you don't grant him real control and authority over your life. These are all ways of protecting the Christ from having authority over what one pastor called it, the kingdom of yourself. You want to protect your kingdom from his. And we as Christians, even we still struggle with this, don't we? We want Christ, and I want to make sure my life turns out this way. 
I want to make sure my job has this certain success path and my spouse treats me like I deserve. My children act a certain way and I really, I love you, Christ, but I want my life to turn out like this. It's a way of renaming Jesus. Another way to do it is instead of trying to rename him is you actually, we let him name us. We release control. We give full rights to every room, the house of our lives. And to fully celebrate Christmas, it requires that we do this. We release control and allow God's ambassador, the Christ, to have full authority over our lives. As Jesus is the Christ, our only authority. Now the motivation, how do we we get motivated to do this? It comes from his other two names. Why would you let him have full authority over you? Let's look at the second name. His name is also Jesus, our only Savior. Russell Moore, a, a theologian and writer, he told the story of, in a blog of going to a local bookstore a few years ago. And he overheard a conversation between two people in the bookstore, and one was telling his friend that he hated Christmas. And the man went on to say, it's because of the music. And just before Russell um, thought he was in the presence of a real Grinch, um, the man said, you know, Christmas is it's just boring because there's no real narrative tension. It's like reading a book without conflict. And Russell found himself thinking about that and almost agreeing with the man as he thought of many of the popular Christmas songs on the radio and in the stores and how they paint a picture of Christmas void of the real darkness around us in the world. And the darkness that's, that's even within us. And this is another reason so many don't fully experience Christmas. They don't see any connection of what's going on with the birth of this child and the real struggles and pains that you're really wrestling with. The real brokenness around us and within us. But even from the beginning of the story, we see that this is not the case. This is far from the case. Think about it. Gabriel, the angel, had come and told this little teenager in Luke 1 that she would bear a child before she was even married to Joseph. And then she went and lived with her cousin Elizabeth. And she comes home to to Joseph, who she was engaged to three months later, and she's, quote, found to be with child, which probably meant that she started to show. Now imagine the conversation she had with Joseph. He didn't know what was going on. He probably wanted to believe her, but had to assume that it was another man. So imagine the feelings of of shame, of disappointment, of betrayal, of loneliness that was going on in his mind. And imagine what Mary was feeling. Joseph was probably going to leave her, her family, and her friends ridicule her as being immoral. And on top of that, that she could be charged with adultery and, and get even worse. All after God had visited her. It was in this context of such pain and struggle and brokenness that the angel of the Lord comes and Joseph to Joseph and tells this child, tells him that this child is from the Holy Spirit, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus, as Mike, Pastor Mike mentioned in the children's sermon, Yahshua, Yah the Lord. Shua saves. Angel says, for he will save you from 
his people from their sins. It meant this, that this child, he was going to use his authority to bring light to the darkness, healing to the hurting, hope to the hopeless. It means Christmas has everything to do with bringing redemption to every area of brokenness in your life. As one song said, as far as the curse will be found. There's two ways that you can miss this this morning, though. You know, some struggle to see that this salvation is actually necessary in your life. Tim Keller, um, author, pastor, theologian, wrote a book last year called Hidden Christmas. And he said it's, it's actually really not easy to receive the uh, Christmas for what it really is. He said, imagine this. Imagine you're at a party or, or a friend comes over with their Christmas gifts and they give you these they give you a couple books, and they're all wrapped up, and you, you, un, you take off the wrapping of the first book, and it says, um, it's a book on dieting. You're like, oh, okay, thanks. And then the, you open up the, the next book, and it says, um, you know, managing your anger. And the third one says, overcoming selfishness. Now, you can imagine if that really happened. I mean, the anger is probably... You know, welling up inside at you at them. To really receive such gifts, it would require a really humble person who could swallow their pride and say, "I really struggle with anger, and I really struggle with selfishness." If you're going to really receive them, see, most were really okay with Jesus being born to save at that time. Um, you know. It's, a, it's about time God sent someone to save us from Roman impre- oppression. It's about time someone, God sent someone to save us from the suffering that we're in this world that we're, we're experiencing. They constantly want to put Jesus in that box. But a Christ that came for a cross to save from my failure to meet God's law from my pride and my selfishness, that's hard to swallow. That's what set up Peter's awkward conversation when Jesus asked, who who am I? You're the Christ. You're the ruler. You're the conqueror. Nailed it. Jesus says, you're right. And he goes on to speak of his suffering and death. And Peter said, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Not that. No, 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 you got it all wrong, Jesus. That's not the picture of Christ. And that's when he rebukes him. Because the Christ and the cross just don't belong together in most of their minds. The same for the Jewish leaders at the end when they yelled at Jesus on the cross. If you're really the Christ, you don't belong there. Save yourself. In their minds, it was the collapse of a messianic pretender. Because they could not identify with a Christ who came to save them from their great sin. Christmas is first an indictment before it becomes a delight. One can't fully receive Christmas without first swallowing your pride and admitting, I'm not a good enough person to be saved. I'm not a moral person. I'm not good enough to earn God's love and acceptance. I cannot save myself. I am indeed a sinner in need of a Savior. You can't embrace Christmas until you do that. Until you say, as Acts 4.12 says, 
There's no, there's no salvation. There's salvation in no one else, especially not myself. There's no other name by which I must be saved. Salvation through Jesus, you must see it as necessary. But also, some struggle to see it sufficient. See, some tend to think that God's rescue mission is in some part, some kind of partnership with us. He came to save us, but we still have to do our part, right? You know, it reminds me of, um, um, I took, um, we took our family, somebody lended us, us a condo in New Orleans uh, years ago when uh, we had two small children. Um, we found out really quickly that the French Quarter was not a great place to spend a vacation with small children. So we, um, we, we kind of spent a lot of time around the pool, and I was reading a book by the pool, and I was watching our daughter, Avery, who was just old enough to kind of be on the stairs and play by herself. And she's holding on to the side of the pool and having a blast. But I was keeping an eye on her. And um, I will never forget the moment when she was hanging on. And I kind of looked up right about the time when she missed the last stair and let go of the ledge and just right to the bottom of the pool. So I did what any father would do. I, I ran over to her on the side and I, I stuck my arm in the pool and I yelled at her, grab a hold of my arm. Grab a hold, I'm trying to save you. No. <laughs> of course I didn't do that. I, I mean, in a matter of a half a second, I, I dove into the pool, I rescued her from the bottom and brought her out. Completely <laughs> saved her. Listen, when the angel says this, listen to these words. He said, he will save his people from their sins. He's not referring to a partnership. There's not one ounce of our merit or moral goodness that's required. There's not an if you will do this or that, or if you won't sin too much after I save you, the good news of Christmas is that Christ came to dive head first into our sin on the cross. He set his eyes like a flint toward Jerusalem because that was his purpose. He who had all authority over his life said, I have authority and I'm going to lay it down so I can suffer God's punishment against your sin and my sin. As Hebrews 9 said, he put away sin once for all. By sacrificing himself and thus securing for you an eternal salvation. That happened back then for you. There's nothing more we can add to it. And from what I understand about the Reformation, this is why Solus Christus was one of the most important parts. This was all about Christ and what he did for you, not yours. It was by his grace to be received by faith alone. It's all it's required is receiving what he has done for you. We just can't add anything to it. It's like the, did y'all hear that the, uh, recently the Leonardo da Vinci, a painting was sold for $450 million. The most in history, it broke records by a long shot. A, uh, a Saudi prince bought it. Can you imagine if this Saudi prince took that painting home that was worth that much, that cost that much, created by somebody like da Vinci and and then he tried to add something to it. 
He's like, I, I think it could use a little bit of my Crayola creativity. Um, a little outrageous orange around the eyes would really you know, sharpen it up. Galatians 2 says that if, 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 that if one ounce of your law-keeping adds to your righteousness, then Christ died needlessly. This should be so encouraging to those who will admit that you are not good enough to save yourself, that you need to be rescued. Will you believe this morning that his name was Jesus? That he has saved you from your sins completely. Jesus used all his authority to bring light to our darkness and healing to our hurts and hope to our hopelessness. Christmas has everything to do with bringing redemption to all that is broken in our lives as far as the curse is found. As John Calvin said in his commentary, Jesus received a name which plainly told for which purpose he came and the power he came to do it and the, what right we had to expect of him. And that was to save. Amen. They called him Jesus, our only Savior. And third name, lastly, is Emmanuel, our only mediator. I was on a plane recently, um, a couple months ago, sitting next to a guy, a young man. And as we took off, we're about to take off, actually. um, He pulled out uh, of a black, nice little black case, uh, his um, rosary. And he bowed his head and started praying, going through some of the beads and I, um, I was actually a little convicted of it because I don't usually pray, pray before we take off, so I could have bowed my head and prayed a little bit as well, followed his lead. But I was intrigued why he was doing that to the rosary. And so I, uh, you know, somewhere mid-flight, I turned to him and asked you, hey, do you mind if I ask you what you were doing with the necklace? And he said, he's praying to St. Christopher. I said, okay, that's interesting. I said, mind if I ask you who he was and why you would be praying to him? And he said, well, St. Christopher is the saint of travel. And I was praying that he would grant me a safe flight. I said, well, that's, that's really interesting. Um, would you mind if I ask you, you know, where is St. Christopher now? And, you know, kind of what, what power he has to save you? I was very I was, uh, genuinely interested in this. And he said, really, I don't know much more than that. My mother taught me to do it. My, her mother taught, me, taught her how to do it. And from what I understand, so I went home and researched this a little bit. Um, There's a major plunge of theological understanding from 500 to 1500, um, the 1500s. And and because of this, the lack of scripture, people had a view of God that, that he was kind of unapproachable and he was a condemning God. And he was so high and so exalted and so holy that, um, uh, way too much to earn his approval, so the church began to, to say that, you know, but if, if, you, um, if Mary is on your side and you get the saints on your side and you pray to them and ask them to intercede for him, then you can get God's approval through them, especially the mother of Jesus because she's that approved of. And God will listen to them on our behalf and approve of us. They became like mediators between us and God. This is another reason why the reformers were so passionate about Solus Christus. Because of this. Christ alone, they said, is our only mediator. And Christ 
He's the only and perfect mediator. You see this in this passage here. Matthew says in verse 23, he said, This child who is being born is the same one Isaiah wrote about 700 years earlier. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We're very familiar with this term. We sing songs about it. We talk about every Christmas, Emmanuel. But they weren't back then. The thinking of a God like this, like in the Old Testament, that could be born as a baby was inconceivable. Yahweh is the one who created the universe. That has, some smart people just discovered, 10 trillion galaxies. Not solar systems. This was the God who... Who spoke all things into existence. The mountains and the seas. and He's the one who flooded the whole earth. And shook Mount Sinai when he descended on it. They didn't have a concept for such a God. Being born into the world that he created. Through a poor Jewish girl in a a feeding trough. They didn't have a concept for what C.S. Lewis said in one of his books. Something bigger than the whole world coming down into a stable. And there's so much to say on the topic of Emmanuel, but let me jump to some application. Because I think there's so many, you know, you don't have to pray to Mary or the saints, but you still really struggle with thinking that God is so big and so holy and so out there that you just, you're you're just not for sure, you're not convinced. You don't live with a sense that he's really, you really have his approval, that he's really with you. You really have his attention. So you really, you subtly keep trying to earn it. There's a, there's a great movie. I love this movie. It's not a Christmas movie. It's a cartoon, and I watched it a couple times with my kids. It's, it's a sequel to Emperor's New Groove called Conk's New Groove. <laughs> Don't make it one of your Christmas classics, you know. <laughs> um, but in it, this, this the main character named Kronk. The whole movie is about him trying to earn his dad's approval. whom To get his, what he always calls Pappy's Thumbs Up. In one scene, he admits he's never felt like he's had it. And he says this. He said, you don't let a guy like Pappy down or you'll get one of these. The cold shoulder, the frenzied eyebrow, the grimace of doom, the sneer of despair, the crippling wince of guilt, the scowl of impending wrath, and worst of all, the nostril flare of total rejection. So he works so hard, the whole movie, to make a name for himself with a big house on a hill and a good-looking family, so he'll earn Pappy's thumbs up. And you know, I, th- I think we're all, everyone here, is, we are wired to receive our Heavenly Father's thumbs up. To really feel that God pursues us, is close to us, that we genuinely have His approval. But for many reasons, in many seasons of life, especially when we feel like you really failed Him, we fear He's so far, He's far off, He's disinterested, He's unpleased with us. That's why many have become disinterested with God or, or you constantly try, strive to earn his approval. So if, you're, if this is you this morning, would you listen to the name of this child? Emmanuel. God with us. Emmanuel. God has come to us. The glorious God who created the 10 trillion Galaxy so loved you that he dove into this earth, become created like us. He can sympathize, it means, with every weakness because he came to us and became like us. He can relate with every one of your temptations because he came to us and became like us. He drew near to us 
And he went to a cross for us so that he would become and always be our mediator. So that all who believe in him might forever, as Hebrews says, draw near to a throne of grace. Because we have his permanent thumbs up of approval. They called him Emmanuel, our only mediator. I was talking um, with a good friend the other day and confessing this, this friend. And I asked him how how his Christmas season has been. And he said, you know what? It's, it's actually, um, you know, I prepared, this is what he said. He said, you know, I prepared room for him this, this season and it's been so good. <laughs> and he went on to tell me about it. Christmas is about the Christ. It's about Christ alone, our only authority. It's about Jesus, our only savior. It's about Emmanuel, our only mediator. And I encourage you today, this season, and into the new year to make room for him. Amen. Let's pray. God, we celebrate Christmas because it's all about you. And we ask, Lord, that any who need to repent right now to fully get what they're supposed to get out of Christmas would swallow their pride that I would swallow my pride and we all would humble ourselves and admit we are in need of a Savior. We cannot get to you and we need Christ who uses authority to save us as Emmanuel representing you coming to us. So I pray, Lord, that we would believe that and then go out from here granting you all authority over all parts of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.